Welcome to Passion Life Church. You know, God never designed for you to live and go through life alone. God made you uh, a relational, a relational person to go through life with relationships. And last, in the first part of, of uh, in the first part of uh, relationship goals, we talked about the purpose of relationships. And I would just encourage you to really go to passionlifechurch.com and, and download that message. And then last week, we started talking to all those that are married and those that want to be married. And today, we're going to speak on multiple levels. And we're going to talk about that. And uh, statistics say, for those of us that are married, that you've got about a 50-50 chance Uh, to make it. And our relationships are great relationships possible. Absolutely. But they are not likely. And how many of you know, if we do things the world, the world's way, we will get what the world gets. And that is a 50, 50%. And that's even with Christians. They're in that, in that um, statistic. But how many of you know that when we do it God's way, there's a hundred percent chance that you can succeed because God made marriage perfect. He knew what he was doing when he made marriage. It's us, once we get in the mix, these imperfect people, when we have conflict and we do it our way, that things uh, go wrong. And I think as we dive into this, you're going to see that a lot of these principles not only apply to marriage, they apply to those who want to get married and relationships uh, in general. And what I want to do in my heart in this is really to try to, especially in marriage, to increase your odds. I want to increase your odds of staying together and being together. Can you say a good amen? amen? And if you've ever been at a wedding or you've heard the vows that we say, or you've heard maybe a pastor say uh, these vows, they said, I take you to be my lawfully wedded wife or husband to have and to hold from this day forward. And that's kind of the mentality that we've been taking in this relationship. When you stand and you get married, you say from this day forward, it's not about who you used to date. It's not about your past. It's about from this day forward. And I say that because sometimes when we talk about relationships, many of us have been hurt or we've had bad situations in relationships. And so you can really sit here under a lot of guilt and condemnation. And that's not what today's about. Today's mentality is having a from this day forward type of mentality. And let's look at our key verse that we've been looking at. Lamentations chapter three, verse 19. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Or you can just look at the screen. I would just encourage you, my church family, come to church, not only with your Bible, but get buy a notebook, get a paper, uh, uh, buy a notebook and get a pen and take notes. Have a, a notebook that you have that when you come to church, it's yours because there's times in life when you go through situations that you can go through that notebook. And today's a great subject. We're talking about fighting fair. You may need these notes someday in the future. Are you there this morning? I didn't know. Okay. Everybody's looking at me like I got three heads. I don't know. Um, but, uh, but to take some notes today, we have, there's a lot of different scriptures that you can write down. There's a lot of points. And so just jot those down. You don't have to necessarily turn to all these scriptures, but uh, I just want to kind of cue you on that. Lamentations chapter three, verse 19, the prophet Jeremiah is writing and he says this, he says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them. In other words, 
he is remembering his mistakes. And look what happens. He says, my soul is downcast within me. In verse 21, he says, yet this I call to mind. Look, and he's saying, when I call this to mind, look what he says, therefore I have hope. So when I call this to mind, I have hope. What is he calling to mind? Look, verse 22, it says, because of the Lord's great love. Man, we sang about that today. Would you say that with me? Say great love. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions. One translation actually says for his mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Jeremiah is talking about a from this day forward type of mentality that look, God's mercies are new this morning. And because they are new this morning, we can have a from this day forward type of mentality. And as we go through this and we talk about this, let's do that. Let's have a fresh start again today. Can we say a good amen? So we asked and we said, Hey, let's commit to these five things. If we can commit to these five things as married couples, or for those of you who are single, Listen, you are going to make it. This is going to help increase your odds. Here are the five things. Number one, we talked about committing to seeking God. We talked about that last week. We talked, and we're going to talk about today, fighting fair. If we'll commit to number three, having fun. That is the romance part of the message. That is next week. Come on, turn to your neighbor real quick and say, that's next week. And so I would just encourage you, if you have kids under 13, take advantage of our great children's classes. And then the fourth one, we're going to commit to staying pure. Because if we do relationships like the world says, we're going to get what the world uh, gets. Here's number five. And then we're going to commit to never giving up. And we're going to talk about what endurance looks like. Can we say all these together? Let's say it together. Ready? Number one, we're going to commit to seeking God fighting fair, having fun, stay pure, never give up. Can we do it one more time? A little bit louder. Seeking God, fighting fair, having fun, stay pure and never give up. Never. You know, the Bible says in Psalms chapter 127, verse one, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, those will labor in vain. In other words, unless God is involved in our relationships, then we can labor in vain. God wants to build the house. And, you know, when it comes to relationships, I truly believe that God really intended relationships to be a piece of heaven, heaven on earth. You say, Pastor Phil, why do you say that? I want you to listen to these verses in Psalms chapter 133, verses 1. Then I'll skip to verse 3. Listen to what he says. He says, how good. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is as if the dew were falling on Mount Zion. For, the, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 22 says this. The man who finds a wife finds a what, ladies? Come on, ladies. What do we find? Come on, just nudge your hubby and say, I'm your treasure. Come on, just tell him, just remind him. Say, I am your treasure. One translation says, thank you for that, amen. And one translation says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Listen, if you're looking to get married, gentlemen, you have to pursue the woman. And all the ladies said, 
Amen. And ladies, be a woman worth pursuing. All the guys said? Amen. Amen. Right? But we live in a society where girls are going after guys. It is the guy that needs to be the initiator. Come on. It is the man who needs to go after the whoa man. Come on, somebody. Now, be somebody that can be pursuable, right? There's nothing like letting people know you're ready and I'm coming out. I want the world to, right? I mean, hey, I'm here. But let the guys pursue you. Ladies, let them work a little bit. Come on. Let them spend a little bit of money. I thought I would get some more amens from the ladies today, but I'm not. All right, guys, they don't want you to spend money. Maybe that's not their love language. He who finds a wife finds a treasure and he gives favor of the Lord. Listen to these words. Listen to the words that God uses when it comes to marriage, when it comes to relationships. He uses the word treasure. He uses the word blessing. He uses the word favor. And listen to this, life forevermore. Now I'm gonna be honest with you. Good relationships can be like heaven. Bad relationships can be like hell. I said hell, I did. it's in the Bible, it's okay. But the intention for God was it be a heavenly thing that we experience all of these treasure, blessing, favor, life forevermore. This is how God describes relationships. But here's the question. Then why do we argue over petty things like the temperature, whether it needs to go colder or hotter? Come on, somebody. Like I tell my wife, it's easier to put clothes on than take clothes off. I am not walking around the house in my underwear because I am hot. I heard what Nellie said. It's getting hot in here, so take off all your clothes. I heard that, but I don't want to do that. I just want to adjust the thermostat. That's my Pentecostal Holy Ghost. <laughs> Honey, I love you. I will buy you a sweatshirt. No. So there we are with the heater on and I'm sweating in the middle of the summer. Because <laughs> I love you. So if God, is this all too real? Some of you are like, Honey, he knows what we talk. No. <laughs> But these are the words that are supposed to be used. But why, why do we fight over petty things? You know, who's going to walk the dog? Who's going to do the dishes? And whose turn is it to give the kid a bath? Honey, it's your turn. No, I did last week. No, it's your And we, we, we argue over things. And, you know, and I think part of that is because there's, we get carnal about things. We, we still, we're spirit being, but we're fleshly, but we act carnal about things. I like to call it Christians con carne. That's, that's what, that, that's, we have like this, this, and I think another reason is, is that because we as men and you as ladies, we're radically different. And you know what though? God planned it that way. He planned it because iron's supposed to sharpen iron. And I thank God for my wife when I walk out of the house and she goes, you do not match today. <laughs> and I've learned to trust her judgment. As a co I'm colorblind sometimes. People ask me, you wear a lot of dark colors. Yeah, just give me some grace. 
Because I, you know, she'll, she'll be like, that does not go at all. And I've learned to just say, thank you, hon, but I thought I was being stylish. She goes, oh, yeah, I, I just would not. But we're just radically different about things. But I think something that we need to understand is that we in relationships have to celebrate diversity. You know, God blesses unity. And many times he'll bring a relationship into your life with somebody who is not like you to help you. You know, God sees your future. We talked about this. The purpose of relationships is for people to help you fulfill your destiny. And you may be this unorganized person, but God has a destiny for you that you're going to need to get organized. So he sends an organized friend into your life and you do not like them and they do not like you. But guess what? As a friendship develops, you learn, you learn organization. You learn because why? It's preparing you for your destiny. But we need to understand that God's purpose is unity. Even in the goal of marriage, the goal in marriage is that the two become one. Listen, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, when God had created Adam and Eve, he says, for this reason, this is the reason, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be unified to his wife. Listen, and they will become one flesh. Oh, please, please hear my heart today. My church family, please. Marriage is a spiritual act. It's spiritual. It's spiritual. God, God ordained marriage. And his desire is that the two become one. The two become one. Now, we got to be honest. None of us come into marriage perfect. We just don't. And in reality, we all have attitudes. We all have experiences. Let me just even say this. We all have cultures that are different. My mom and dad, my dad was Hispanic from Guadalajara. My mom was from New Jersey. We lived in an episode of I Love Lucy for most of my entire life. That's how I learned Spanish. When my dad got mad, he would yell at us in Spanish, right? My mom called him Mida. That was his name, Mida. That means look. I have no idea why she called him that, but I'm just saying, yeah, she's like, hey, Mida, come over here. <laughs> like, and I'm just going to be honest. We bring culture. We bring experiences. We bring whether those are good or bad, how our parents did it. All of that comes into this relationship. And we don't come perfect. And we have our own experiences. But listen, the truth is we all need to change. I'm going to try that again because I'm going to give you a little bit of a setup to say amen. We all need to change. We all do. But listen, in marriage, the quicker the two become one, the better. And you need to understand this. God is bringing you closer together. Oneness in attitude in thought processes. It's not just, yeah, we come together, we have a wedding, we consummate the marriage, we become one. No, God's still always pushing you together with his big hands. He's like, come on, guys, come on. I know you think this way. I know you think, come on, I'm pushing you together. Why? So the two can become one. Remember, we said two is better than one. Solomon said, but how about this? Can you imagine not only two is better than one, can you imagine two acting like one? 
That's powerful. Two people on the same team with the same goals, same spiritual goals, same generosity goals, same goals raising their kids. That is powerful. But here's what happens. Sometimes we get this independent spirit that we just think, you know, oh, well, I want to do this and I want to do that. And let me encourage you. If you are independent and want to do things your way, do not get married. If you are single and you're like, hey, listen, I want to do it my way. I want to do it when I want what I want. Maybe marriage is not for you. We have single people wanting to be married and married people wanting to be single. So I'm just trying to help you out because the goal of marriage is oneness, that you come together. Now, I want to, I really want us today to have an overall big picture spiritual view, but I also want today to give you practical things from the word of God when we talk about fighting fair. Now, whenever there's a fight, whenever there's a fight, you need to know something. There's always something at stake. Can you say a good amen? There's always, if you watch an UFC fight, MMA, if you watch a, bo a boxing match, you know, uh, Ronda Rossi, whoever you like, there's always something at stake. It's either money or it's a belt that this is, okay, this is why we're fighting. But now I ask that question about us. What's at stake for you and I in a fight? This has so helped me when things come up and conflict comes up with my wife because there's more at stake than you may even think. Mark chapter three, verse 25 says this, if a house is divided against itself, it will not stand. It will not stand. And here God had this idea for marriage. Did you know that marriage was the first institution that God created? God created marriage before he created a government. It's pretty powerful. God created marriage and he created marriage. And we read that during the offering that Jesus is building his house. Listen, God is a builder. God wants to build your house. You know, David talked about how when he builds God's house, God builds his house. And I'm telling you, there's a truth there that as you invest your life into God's house, he will build your house. But you need to know something. God is a builder, but the devil is not. The devil is always a divider because he understands the potential of the synergy of you coming together and the power of agreement. God told Adam, here's what he said. Look at Adam. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. Genesis chapter one, verse 28. It says, then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And here's part of my goal today. I want you to see God's perspective and how important marriage is. When you get married, here's what God says. I want your life, and not even just for us that are married. We're going to talk about this a little bit later in our fruitful series. God wants your life to be fruitful because when you bear much fruit, it glorifies the Father. When you bear, God says, I want, he's unapologetically, I want your life to bear much fruit in your job and your, and when you do, when you get this platform at your job where you have attained a promotion, the Bible says that platform can be used to glorify God. 
Woo, hallelujah. I want that. I want to bear much fruit. But he says in marriage, listen, he says, when you come together, I want you to be fruitful and I want you to multiply. And literally it, it can mean, yes, have children. So when we are fruitful and multiply, we have a family. And guess what happens? When we're fruitful and multiply in our families, it impacts our neighborhood. And then when our neighborhood is impacted because families are honoring God, then you know what? Neighborhoods impact cities. And then when cities have strong neighborhoods, strong cities, you know what we can have? That can affect our state. And when we have states that are strong, marriages that are strong, families that are strong, that state can affect our whole country. The whole fabric of what God did was he put two people together to affect society. This is why the enemy comes so hard against marriage because he knows that if he can divide people, it'll affect a neighborhood, a city, a state, a country. And that's why marriage is under attack today. It's under attack today. And the nucleus of all of it was marriage. People coming together. And I remember, I told you this in part one, as soon as God created Eve, guess who came on the scene? The snakes. As soon as she came on the scene, as soon as there was the potential for synergy with Adam and, and Eve coming together to do great things, here came the devil right at their door. And I got to warn you tonight, I, I got to warn you today, listen, he is still at the door waiting to get into your marriage and your relationships to divide you. And I want us to understand, in, especially when we argue and there's conflict, there is more at stake than your ego ego and your pride. I'm going to tell you what's at stake. Your peace is at stake. Your peace is at stake. The unity of your home is at stake. I want you to hear this. Your legacy with your kids is at stake. And I want you to hear my heart because today's about this day forward. A lot of times our kids get caught up in the casualty of an ego of a fight and they always pay the bill. And I'm telling you, this is what is that state. I think about those things when my, my wife and I have a conflict. I think about the peace of our home because remember a house that is divided cannot stand. And you are, we're going to talk about this a little bit later in the series. You are establishing the legacy of your house. See, we have to think generationally. God gave us a son, and I thank God that he gave us a son, but God has gifted him and anointed him for a purpose. God has gifted and anointed your kids for a purpose, and you are a part of the genealogy of their life and the destiny of their life, and I believe that your kids are going to do great things, and the devil's going to come in and creep in to try to destroy not only your relationship, but the destiny of your kids. It's at stake. It's at stake. And James warns us in James chapter 3, verse 16, he says this, For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. I looked up that word strife. That word strife means self-seeking. People who seek to win followers. Do you know that James is warning us? He says, you need to know that the enemy is at your door. And when there is strife, if we don't handle this correctly, guess what can enter in our house? Every 
evil work. Oh, I don't want that. But it's at stake. It's at stake. Every evil work. And if we're not careful, if we don't fight fair, my church family, we can destroy our friends. We can destroy our spouses. Now, let's be honest. Today, every couple fights. Everybody has conflict. Can I hear a good amen? Everybody. So the question, here's today's question. Not if we fight, but here's the question. How we fight. How we fight. Because in reality, all couples fight, but yet healthy couples fight fair. Let me say that again. All couples fight, yet healthy couples fight fair. I want you to listen to this quote. Healthy couples fight for resolution. Unhealthy couples fight to win. Let me say that again. Healthy couples fight for resolution, but unhealthy couples, what do they fight for? They fight to win. Here's what I ask myself every time. Today, you're going to hear from the word of God. You're going to hear from 20 plus years of pastoral experience and counseling. I've only been married six years. You're like, oh, you only been married six years. Who are you to tell me about my marriage? Listen, I've been counseling people for 20 years. And so may that minimal experience help you with the word of God. But can I just tell you, I always ask these two questions when there is a conflict between me and my wife. What is the problem? that needs to be solved and what is the need that needs to be met? Let me say that again. What is the problem that needs to be solved? What is the need that needs to be met? Because if we would really think about why we're fighting, it's a problem that needs to be solved and it is a need that needs to be met. Now listen, healthy couples fight for resolution. Can I just say this way? Unhealthy couples just like to fight. <laughs> Have you met them? They're out there. They love it. There are some people who are quarrelsome. It doesn't matter if the day is great. They want to fight. Right? They want to fight. I'm not that type of person. I really don't like conflict, but I, what I do love is finding resolution. And here's what leaders will do. Leaders solve problems. And sometimes these fights, conflicts come from what? There is some type of issues. Now for us guys, guys, listen up. When we grow up, we grow up with this fight to win. I'm going to fight to win. But do you know you can fight to win and lose your relationship? And walk away and go, I won. Yeah, but you lost everything. You lost. You You lost. And I grew up like that. Everything we do, win, competition. But in relationships, competition is great in sports. But when it comes to relationships, not so good. And you can actually become wrong in your attitude by always wanting to prove that you're right. Proving that you're right. Listen to what Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19 says. It says, an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. Man, this is serious stuff. There's stuff at stake here. And it's not just my ego. It's what, there's a lot more at stake. 
And I want us to have that perspective because the enemy's going to throw little things in your life to try to get you uh, arguing about things that don't even really matter. But if you'll have a spiritual perspective that the enemy is standing at the door waiting to come into your life, to divide your life, to eventually affect your destiny and your purpose, maybe we'll have a greater of understanding when conflict and, and uh, disagreements come up that we have a a better, wiser perspective. Let me give you today three wrong ways we resolve conflict. Three wrong ways we resolve conflict. Number one, we are fighting the wrong enemy. We're fighting the wrong enemy. Listen to what Ephesians chapter six, verse 12 says. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So here it is. Here are these, again, principalities, powers, but you think the enemy is your spouse. You have made the enemy your spouse, and yet your spouse is not the real enemy. I don't know if you've ever saw the movie 13 Hours. It's a pretty amazing movie. It's about the attack on Libya in Benghazi, Libya, on our consulate there. And there were some guys, some Navy SEALs, who stood up, and uh, they they tried to to, to, uh, thwart the attack and all this, and then they they became under attack. And when they became under attack, the challenge that they had, it's a a true story. A couple of the guys that were there were actually uh, helped direct the movie. And, I mean, it it just breaks your heart. But what happened is they became under attack, and then there were allies that were coming from Libya to help them, but they could not tell the difference between who was attacking them and who the allies were because they all dressed alike. They all looked alike. And it was a really a big challenge. And I think that's what happens sometimes with us in relationships is we can look at our spouse or relationship and we think that they are the enemy. Listen, and you can argue and fight with that, your spouse, because you think that they're the enemy and you win. And yet the, 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 the real enemy is still in your house because you couldn't tell the difference. And I'm telling you, we are fighting the wrong enemy. And it's interesting how we can make our spouse to be that enemy. So the enemy wants to destroy the fabric of our culture. So he comes to our house. And I want you to be aware of this as issues come up, that you know what, are you fighting the right enemy? Here's number two. Here's another wrong way we resolve conflict. Number two, we're driven by the wrong motives. Sometimes motives are self-interest, self-promotion, self-defense. I'm going to be honest. What I just read to you right now, that describes a couple that is not seeking God. Remember we talked about last week? It's hard to have a, hard, a, a, a vicious argument with someone you're praying with, seeking God with, coming to church, which like we talked about last week. It's hard to divorce somebody who you're praying with all the time. I know that wasn't incredibly profound, but it's true. And sometimes we're driven by the wrong motives. Listen to James chapter four, verse one. It says, what is causing these quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Oh, so it may not even be the other person. It may be something within me. I'm going to take a break right here. Let's pretend this is the DVR. I'm going to put it on pause. Okay. I'm going to come over here. Can I have five more minutes?
today in the message because we spent five more minutes on communion because you took so long to open up those things. Can I have five more minutes? Could, could I do that? All right. Come back over here. I'm back. We've been talking about this in life group. And let me just give you a real quick perspective. Because James is saying, what's causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at a war within you? At Life Group, we've been saying this. Every relationship that you're in starts with you. You bring you into every relationship that you are at. Now listen, the Bible, and this is what we've been teaching at Life Group. Demand more change from yourself than you do other people. Listen, you have a scripture for that? Absolutely. Jesus said this, before you try to get planks or specks out of other people's eyes, listen, take the log and the pole out of your eyes. Listen, why? If I have a pole in my eye, I can't properly see you. So I think you have a speck in your eye and I have a freaking log coming out of mine. And I'm trying to judge you and I got a pole coming out of my eye. Maybe my perspective is wrong about you because of what's in me and in my eyes. And Jesus says, hey, listen, take that out of your eyes first, correct these desires, and maybe you'll have a proper perspective of what you're seeing. Come on, somebody. And now maybe you'll come to life group. What is causing the quarrels? The desires within. Look at verse 2. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You're jealous, so you're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Listen, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure motives. We're driven by the wrong motives. And again, single here, your motives is, it's all about me, 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 me. Don't get married. Don't get married. Because when we get married, it's not about us. It's about other people. It's about your spouse. Here's number three. Here's another wrong way. We resolve conflict. Number three, we use the wrong tactics. We don't respond correctly. Now, listen, this scripture has helped me so many times in conflict. Proverbs chapter 15, verse one and two, it says this, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And look at this, the tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. Notice what he says, the tongue of the wise, it pours and uses knowledge rightly. I have learned one of the ways to help in conflict is not to get on the same level as someone else. And to diffuse situations, the Bible says, is that we give a soft answer. And again, are we looking to fight? Or are we looking for resolve? Are we looking to solve problems? Or are we looking to win? Come on, somebody this morning, a soft answer. And you know what I found? The greatest relationships take place between two servants serving each other. When one person puts their needs aside for the needs of others, man, relationships work. 
And again, I just want to, I want to give you today, Jeremiah said, there's hope when you think about moving from this day forward. So how do we fight fair? How, how, do, how do we do that? Let me, let me give you three rules. Are you ready? Every fight's got to have rules. Can I hear a good amen? So we're going to keep three rules. I had 21, but I was like, they're not going to be able to remember 21. So I'm just going to give you three that, all right, here we go. Here's the first one. Stop and listen carefully. Stop him a time. That's always I think about when I think about stop. Now, why do I say stop? You can't listen carefully when you're preoccupied with other things. Even in my relationship, sometimes I'm talking with people and uh, I've made time to talk with them. And while I'm talking with them, they're on their phone. When you do that with your spouse, especially when there's a moment and guys, we need to be able to recognize when there's a moment in our lives, you need to stop, put the phone down. If you do not do that, you are not conveying value to your wife and vice versa today. So we need to stop. Listen to what James chapter one, verse 19 says, my brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and, and slow to become angry. So I'm supposed to be quick, slow, slow. But you know what we do? We are quick to speak, right? And slow to listen. We're supposed to be quick to listen. So stop also refers to timing. I think some conflicts and fights don't go well because it wasn't the time to talk about it. All right. Can I give you a little example? Ladies, you speak 20,000 words a day. The average guy speaks 7,000 words a day. You speak 13,000 more words than we do. I didn't get any amens on that. I, I just, I'm, I'm trying, I'm going to create a little scenario. So your husband gets home from work. He's already used his 7,000 words. Okay. He's already done it. He's already, he's comes home. He said, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. 7,000 times already during the day he comes home. You have been home most of the day with your little one or by yourself. You have not had adult time yet with your, so you have about 19,000 words waiting in your gun, cocked, ready to go when he walks in the door. I'm preaching. And he had a rigorous day at work and he comes in, right? And he's like, honey, I'm home. No, he doesn't. He opens the door and he comes in and he's tired. He puts his little lunch pail on the counter and sits on the couch. And he's so glad to be home sitting in two hours of traffic, talking to no one, which is fine with us. Okay. And sitting there getting home and I'm home. And here you come, right? With your 19,000 words. My wife and I do this too. She's at work or I'm out doing errands, having an appointment. She gets home. Sometimes I'm home before her. I'm, she's, I'm so happy to see her. And as soon as she walks through the door, I'm like, it's not the time, especially, listen, if there's something that's going to be conflicting, I think sometimes they escalate, things escalate because it's not the right time to talk. 
And sometimes what we need to do is say, honey, I'm so glad you're home. Can I massage your feet? Okay, I mean, that's too much. But listen, but <laughs> thank you. I got a lady, amen, all right. But let me just say this. <laughs> I threw that in there. That wasn't in my notes. I think it was the Holy Spirit telling me to say it. But let me just say this. Sometimes it's, hey, we need to talk about some things. And let me put little so-and-so to bed later. You recruit, and we're going to talk about some things. And I think sometimes that works better when we stop, because that refers to timing. And we talk better when we're more concentrated on what we need to do. Now, listen, some things are better to discuss in non-conflict times. If the only times you guys are talking is when you're arguing, you need to set aside time to talk because things build up. They build up. And what I have found, and I will teach this and tell you in parenting classes, when we go to parenting, you need to have a relationship with your kids and talk with them. If you're always just correcting them and that's the only communication they hear, they can have issues there. But it's the same with your spouse. Things build up and all of a sudden one thing sets it off and poof, you explode. You need to have some times where we say, we need to talk about this. Can I hear a, a good amen today? Here's just, this has helped me. Please write this down. So when you listen, listen with the intent to understand. Listen to this, please, please. Don't seek to be understood. Seek to understand. Well, they're going to know what I want them to Shh. Let's understand what needs to be solved. What need needs to be met. Let's listen and seek to be understood. Nobody understands me. Well, who are you trying to understand? Listen, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 2 says, Fools have no interest in understanding. Fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. Ouch. I want to go like, ah. I'm trying to increase your odds, trying to help you fight fair. And you know what I have found? Here's a great way to respond. When I don't understand, here's what I say. Please let me know if I'm understanding this correctly. That's what I say. She'll say this, she'll say that, and I say, okay, help me. Am I understanding you correctly? And then I will, listen, repeat back. This is what I understand, right? I do not say, you need to make more sense. You need to think about the things you're going to talk about. I don't say those things. I say, tell me if I'm understanding this correctly. Why? Because I am seeking to understand, not just be understood. And it's helped. It's a great way to respond to fight fear. Stop and listen carefully. Guard your words vigilantly. Listen, Proverbs 12, 18 says this. Some people make cunning remarks but the words of the wise bring healing. Can I just say this? Some people make cutting remarks, unhealthy, fighting to win, but the words of the wise bring healing. Because can I say it this way? The words of the wise bring resolutions that bring people together. That bring people, is this okay? Is this good this morning? Is this good? Listen, oh. You can give me a golf clap. I'm okay. I don't play golf, but hey, I'll take a golf clap. So here's two questions to ask. 
Should this be said? And should it be said now? Again, what does that refer to? That refers to timing. And can I just say in a fight, here's some things you never say. You never call names. Guys, never say, you're just like your mother. You will be on the couch for probably a month. Never raise your voice. I have told Val, I think, just give me a minute. I need to think through this. Don't raise your voice. Listen, never get historical, okay? Remember two years ago when, no, 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 no. You know what the Bible says? Love covers, love covers. You know what selfishness does? Selfishness exposes. Love covers, it covers a multitude of sin. Never say never. You're never romantic. You're always fill in the blank. Those are big words, big words to say. Never threaten divorce. When we got married, Val and I vowed that we would never use that word. And we just, we just didn't. And here's another one. Never quote your pastor during a fight. Well, the pastor said, I do not want to be involved. Come on, somebody. I do not want to be involved. Here's the last one for today, and we'll close. Thank you for that extra five minutes. I'm just reminding you that you gave me that. Manage your anger righteously. Ephesians chapter four, verse 26 says this, in your anger, do not sin. I would grow up all the time hearing anger is a sin. Anger, anger is not a sin. It can cause you to sin. I have a righteous anger. There are people in our community that don't know God that are going to hell. That gives me a righteous indignation to win souls. But listen, I can become wrong in my anger and do something wrong that causes me to sin. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Listen, do not let the sun go down while you are angry. Here we go again. Here, here it comes. Are you ready? Don't give the devil a foothold. People in this conflict, they feel like feelings and whatever I feel should dictate this fight. And the Bible says your feelings can cause you to sin because feelings aren't always right. This morning I got up out of bed and I felt like Gerard Butler from the movie 300. I felt like I had a six pack. I looked in the mirror and it was a one pack. Come on somebody. But my feelings were wrong. But I felt like it. And, I, and the Bible says this, in those moments where the feeling and feeling, it can cause you to do something wrong. And here's the bigger scope. Here's what's at stake. The devil is waiting at your doorstep and he's waiting. And the Bible says that when you do this, that you can give him a foothold. You know, it was said of Larry Bird. Larry Bird was one of the greatest basketball players of all time. And this is what they said about Larry Bird. Don't give him an inch because he will take a mile. And that could be said of the enemy. He wants a foothold because his goal is to destroy you, to steal your peace, destroy your family and your legacy. Manage your anger and your feelings righteously. Just because you feel it doesn't mean it's right. Well, I feel, I, mm. let me say this. And as a Christian, we're supposed to be mature enough to manage our emotions.
Because here it says, be angry, but do not sin. Do not sin. Am I helping somebody? And we've learned today, the enemy is watching. And strife can bring every evil work. Anger, when it causes you to sin, will give the devil a foothold. And let me just encourage you, don't fight against each other. Fight against what the enemy is throwing at you. Fight against the enemy, because he's the enemy, not the people in your life. Come on, can you give the Lord a great round of applause? Thank you for listening today. We hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by today's message. For more information on Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com 